who doesn't love two on the perimeter and four inside? That, that gets me very excited, nearly aroused, Demo. There's imposters among us. This is karaoke GVDNA. It's amazing. This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, The Walking Dead, Season 11, Episode 22, Faith. My name is Adam Hemming and I've been joined by an enemy of the state, Neil Shepek. Time to fuck shit up. She's a badass, just like Mama. It's <laughs> Chloe Wade. Objection! Oh, actually, no, that was quite nice. Thank you. And the world is broken, but he's not. It's Damien Cooper. You, me, down shit tunnel. Oh, Damo, last time you said that, I said no. We all knew it was a yes, though. Most of my notes for this episode are about Ship Tunnel. Well, same. I learned some new ASL, definitely. Any initial thoughts about this episode, then? What do we think of this one? Much better than last week. I really enjoyed this one. Yes, 100%. Here we go. Back on board. Probably my favourite episode of 11C, to be honest. Yeah, to be fair, I love a shit tunnel. I thought it was so much better than last episode. So, Judith's intro talks about mercy prevailing over wrath. <laughs> if we lose that, we lose everything. But very much about Negan's story this time round. We get mm. all sorts of scenes from Negan's backstory. Well, yes, you're right about um, reminders of Negan um, and of both his bat Lucille, but also his first wife, Lucille. Well, I assume his first, it may not have been, but certainly a love of his life that he called a baseball bat with barbed wire after. And that really set up this episode for the journey that he's going through, reminding us as to how much he loved and using one of the, I don't know how you'd describe, I guess the extra episodes when we got a real insight into Negan and the real Lucille's love for each other. What I also loved though, was the fact that they gave us reminders of Negan killing Glenn. And that, again, puts in the whole thing about Maggie and Negan, but also all of the characters, or at least in the Spiders, first meeting with Negan and how traumatic that was for all of them. And I guess it also, to an extent, was certainly for me as a viewer, highlighted how much of a journey he's made. He's made a massive journey. And I think... The whole intro about hope and everything linked into the the title, the fact that it's about faith and faith in what's right, to have faith in others that they will ultimately do what's right and that they'll change, uh, which I think is very much linked into Negan's story. I wonder if it's the last time we're going to see that footage of that scene. How many times have we gone back to Negan and all those guys on their knees? It was the best episode ever, though. Nothing has shocked me as much as that episode shocked me. I'm still waiting for those days of Walking Dead to come back, to be honest. I've gone to Negan with lots of guys on their knees in the past. It's been great. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been as tense as I was watching that episode. It was incredible TV. I'm going to suggest that we cover the Alexandria storyline first and then go back and look at uh, Aaron's crew and NUG's trial. The other thing I just want to say about the opening Judith monologue showing the past was also her relationship with Negan. 
they showed quite a few scenes of that friendship that developed when he was in prison, well, imprisoned in Alexandria. And also, we all know that once he left, he had a really parental feeling over her. Yeah, and I've got to say also, this season so far, or this chunk of the season, I have been missing Judith. We haven't had very much of her. I wonder whether that's why we've had so much of her in these opening flashback sequences. She is an unbelievable actor. I think comfortably one of the strongest in the cast. It's funny you should mention about Negan having that kind of parental relationship with Judith because you'd kind of wonder if Negan might become a dad and if he'd ever mention it at any point whatsoever that he might be about to become a dad. Do we think Annie's okay yet? (laughs) Annie's very okay. (laughs) So the episode proper opens with We've been working on the railroad. Wow, we need a better platform for this beautiful voice. (laughs) What I really liked is that Negan was on some hardcore rocky training exercise, carrying half a tray with him. Well, what was more delightful than my singing was the fact that Magna was there. Maybe she had COVID in the last episode, what do you reckon? (laughs) And Princess is there. Um, One of the things that I really liked about this episode, actually, all those kind of, well, pretty much it was all the character groups got their bit of screen time, which is very rare for that to happen. Because like you're saying, they did, we've missed a lot of Magna. So it was nice to kind of have at least everyone, even if it's just for a small chunk of time. I was slightly confused with Annie, but I have watched this episode (laughs) about an hour before we start recording. But wasn't she going somewhere else? Yeah, they were being separated, and it was never really made clear. She wasn't designation two like Connie was. They were just being taken somewhere else. So who knows what that was all about. Maybe to work on a separate part of the railroad. (laughs) Oh, please, (laughs) please not let that be the title of our episode. (laughs) I should have carried on interrupting you. What's interesting is the whole time that's going on, we just got the warden kind of looking on. And the big news is there are two on the perimeter and four inside. And who doesn't love two on the perimeter and four inside? (laughs) Well, is the Warden the unnamed character that we don't normally accept for sweepstakes that you chose, Damo? Guys, just to let you know, since our last episode, I have been on the Walking Dead wiki and he is called the Warden on that. Does that not hurt? That's one of the four on the inside. Chloe mentioned the fact that Princess is there as well. I mean, I, I had thought and suggested a couple of episodes ago that Princess might have gotten away before everyone was snatched, but that's not the case. She's also working on the railroad, as is Tyler Davis. Mm. So Tyler's the one that kidnapped Max, and is it Daryl that suggests that they form some form of alliance? I mean, which character is? And someone else says, I didn't say I liked him, but he's got the balls. It was Negan. uh, Daryl's somewhere completely different. But speaking of Negan, he's about to start something. He wants to provide this spot. No, he wasn't. It was Princess. I just remembered. It was Princess. It was either Princess and Negan or Princess and Zeke. I think it was Princess and Negan. I mean, that's that's great for the clarity of who it was, but it's, (laughs) it's totally fucked up my segue. 
it. It's all staying in the edit, don't worry. <laughs> I think I know what you're going to do. Do it. You said that before. So Negan is about to start something, and then they spot that Annie is also working on the railroad. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to do, I thought you were going to go from got to be starting something, got to be starting something, to, and are you okay? And are you okay? Are you okay? This is karaoke DVDNA. It's amazing. The person that Negan tries to make a deal with is that old 187 lockdown. Can we 197. remember? 197. Oh, yeah, 197. That's right. Is that 197? Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Carry on. <laughs> this results in... Negan trying to get into a scrap, trying to provide the spark that's going to enable Ezekiel to do his Braveheart bit. But Annie is there and she gets into the scrap as well. It all gets a bit tense. One thing we've kind of skipped over a little bit, and I think it's because I derailed it at the time, so apologies. But Negan has got a little map or a little bit of paper that he's writing on. Mm. He gets the information from Kelly, is it? And then Kelly tells Magna, Magna tells him, he writes something down. And to be honest, given how much they're about, don't talk to each other, you can't talk to each other. They're all blatantly talking to each other. They can have a break to have water, even though previously they were told they can only stop to sleep and to eat. And he so obviously is writing something down on a piece of paper that he really obviously then slips into his pocket. How useless are these guys? And also, how easily can they be found out? If you write anything down, it can be traced. Whereas if you say something or whisper something, then, you know, obviously that can't happen. There's a lot of whispering going on in this episode. I had to turn the volume up quite quite a lot throughout. But the key thing at the end of this sequence is that Daryl and Carol are watching what's going on. They've reached Alexandria through the magic of their Jeep or the train or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what's happened to the train. Maybe they parked the train and they're just leaving it there. But anyway, they've arrived. And it's very clear by then the Commonwealth doesn't make deals. Our next sequence is with the core crew, I'm calling them. But Daryl, they, they've decided that Daryl and Connie are going to go to the windmill via the ship tunnel. Carol knows a way into her house, but she needs backup for it. So she's taking Maggie. Rosita wants to go in, but Carol says that her and Gabriel are the best sharpshooters if it comes to that, so they should hang back. Rosita says, if it's more than a night, I'm coming in. Daryl just immediately decided to pair up with Connie. And I just love that he's doing all the ASL translations and everything. He's the new Kelly and he's just taking it upon himself to translate everything to keep Connie in the loop. And again, hashtag Team Donnie. Hey, babe, do you want to come down shit tunnel with me? <laughs> I've heard that before. Just before we move on, I want to talk about titles because I know something in the titles that I haven't before. And I wonder whether you have, Adam, as you love title sequences, but also if anyone else has. In the title sequence for this one, I hadn't noticed a red circle above the stormtroopers as the walks approach near the end. Does anybody have a thought or opinion about that? I mean, I did mention it about four or five episodes ago that that... that <laughs> I think I was drunk, Adam. I don't yeah. remember that at all. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's just meant to be a, a, a bloody sun or moon or something. Yeah, but that's what it looks like. Or the Japanese flag. 
I mean, that would be a massive storyline to bring out of nowhere with very few episodes left if somehow Japan were involved in this. Well, there's a lot they've got to cover over the next two episodes. But back to the shit tunnel, I thought that it was almost Scooby-Doo-esque, right? With Fred and Daphne, where he's like, come on, you're going to come with me. We're going to go look over here all alone. (laughs) We do find out that Ezekiel and Negan are being fed better. They're getting some better meals or something of substance for them to chew on. And they're chewing over whether or not to persuade Tyler Davis to join their cause. There's a classic sort of sit down next to the lonely boy in the cafeteria moment. But he's reluctant. There's a conversation about surviving and living, which is something that we've had throughout The Walking Dead. Again, you know, something that's come up before a lot before Negan is collected by the guards and Tyler Davis tells them, you're on your own. Well, he's got the balls, so who who wouldn't want to be friends with him? Indeed. Negan gets taken away and he's taken away by Trooper 197, who is the chap he tried to have a chat with at the railroad. And we learn that his transfer, not Negan's, Trooper 197's, his transfer has been denied. He's got a sick brother and he wants to go and visit him, but he's going to be there for another six months. And his transfer is denied because he didn't ask him directly. He asked someone else. So we are seeing a man with an unbelievably fragile ego. Absolutely. And that's also why I think he might be part of the CRM, because, like I say, he doesn't dress like the Commonwealth Troopers, and he's not happy that 197 has gone above him. And 197 isn't happy either, right? We see him clench his fist, trying to hold it together, but we're not the only ones who spot that, are we? No, Negan spots it as well. And he also listens very carefully as the warden talks to him about leadership, his views on what makes a good leader. Ultimately, what he wants Negan to do is to find out who the leader is. I thought that was an awesome part of Negan's journey because obviously he was the leader at one point. Yeah, I, I also think it's a really good performance. It's one of the few bits where we really get to see the warden talking at length. And I think the actor does a really good job, but it's clear that he is not only does he have a fragile ego, I think he has a fragile grasp on power. Yeah, definitely. It's such a shame he didn't die. No, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> But Negan gets to see Annie as a result of his negotiations. She okay? okay? She seems to be okay. He says he'll handle the warden, and she says, "If I don't do it first, Annie is a is a badass." I think we're you know, she's definitely up for the fight. I think. Yeah, that punch at the beginning as well. Like I, I just it's made me just think I, I have really missed not knowing more about Annie. And her backstory, to be honest, I wish I know we've only got two episodes now, so it's not going to happen. But it did make me think, oh, I would like to know more about her story as a character. She is pretty badass. But the visit to her when she was pregnant, but still being kept captured, as Negan said, I've known men like him my whole life. That's true. And then they talk about how they're definitely going to make it out. All three of them will definitely make it out just one more time in case we hadn't heard that once again she's pregnant, they're both worried, but he's absolutely adamant that all three of them will survive this situation that surely not all three of them could survive. 
having predicted Annie, I already knew I'd got the points for her dying. <laughs> a lot of this episode was cutting between really short scenes of different things going on. We see Connie and Daryl in shit tunnel, X-Files style, working with their torches, kind of. And then we see Carol and Maggie sneak into the house. They nearly get made by a trooper, but they manage to deal with it and knock him out. I thought that the, the scene again between Team Donnie, as Chloe's calling it, was amazing. My issues were, and I was really impressed by this, how they were able to sign whilst holding not particularly strong flashlights and being able to read those signs off each other. Other than that, I thought it was brilliant. And I know we now know that Carol is no longer part of that spin-off. But now you've talked about Mulder and Scully. That's what I want. I want Daryl and Connie in the boondocks trying to explain the unexplainable in the apocalypse. That, that gets me very excited. Nearly aroused, Damo. The problem I had with the sewers or the shit tunnel is that Carol and Maggie managed to get in extremely quickly into Alexandria. And yet it takes Daryl and Connie so much longer. I think that's where they're going to, right? Because they're heading to the windmill. So maybe they've got to get across Alexandria, whereas classic Carol has made sure she's got the shortest journey to go i don't i didn't realize that alexandria was that big that's what she said (laughs) they're radioing between the two of them as well which again commonwealth radio must not be working very well because no one seems to pick up on the fact (laughs) that they're using their um, line (laughs) but you know we're getting the people in the right places yeah that's what it's all about right the last time they used the sewers was that all-out war against Negan. Yeah, it, it made me think of... Whisperers? Is that what you are going to say, Adam? No, it made me think oh. of Carl. Oh. You know, okay. Carl's last moments in the sewers. That's what it brought back to me. There is some whisperer-based action. I think Alpha or Beta or one of those guys comes up through the sewers. I think you're right, Chloe. I can't quite remember it. Oh, correct C's. Adam, definitely not happy with that. Both hands up. Wrong series, but yeah. Uh, Beta digs a whole tunnel through to Alexandria. They dig dig their own tunnel. They don't come through the sewers. Correction. Thank you. The next time we see this group or this storyline is Maggie. Maggie losing it in the utility room scene. So they've got into the house. They're hiding in the utility room. There's troopers around. She asks, was it fair to bring Herschel into this world? Was it selfish? And Carol tells her that we try to make the world better for him and because of him. That's hope. I love that a lot more than the scene that Maggie and Carol had last episode. I thought that was a really strong episode. And as some listeners know, I I kind of work with uh, young people about the climate crisis. And there's been a big study earlier this year about kids that aren't prepared to bring children into the world because they're so scared about the future and what they'll bring them into so even though the walking dead has always had a kind of apocalypse theme to it which definitely ties in with the climate crisis i found that a really poignant and responsible acknowledgement to that i just want to go about you saying about what maggie said she says i want to be better i want to do better and that's literally what she said. I think it's as she's just about to really break down or when she's kind of right in the midst of it, 
I thought, yeah, like you've all already said, just really great work from both of them. It also reminded me of that conversation that Glenn had with Abraham ages ago about when you were pouring Bisquick, were you meaning to (laughs) make pancakes or something along those lines? And uh, Glenn was just like, we want to make something. We all want to kind of make something. And again, linking back to the title episode of Faith and that faith that there is a future there and there is some hope there. And the next generation always kind of, don't know how quite to put it, but there's something about the next generation that's quite inspiring. That always think about things that the previous generation hadn't. And yeah, I just thought it was a lovely moment between these two characters. And I often come against arguments that the older generations, which I'm slowly becoming one of, haven't left the planet in a particularly nice place and how much young people are really working to make sure that as a race we survive. And talking about young people, Maggie is desperate to find Herschel Jr. In fact, she says it. And then suddenly a scuffle and a noise is heard upstairs. I wonder what that could be. I have to when you see. Mom! I can hear you whispering downstairs in the utility room. Well, if it weren't for those pesky kids. <laughs> well, the scene we cut to Ezekiel and Negan working on the railroad. <laughs> And it's clear they've got an uneasy alliance. There's a nice reminder of Benjamin, a character we've probably all forgotten about, who was killed by the saviours. And Ezekiel says, you don't deserve to be a father. He's kind of pushing Negan to do what the Commonwealth warden wants him to do, which is give someone up. And as if to underline that point, the very next scene is (laughs) the warden asks Negan, whether he's got a name for him. So at the beginning of that scene, Zeke asks him what the warden wanted to speak to him about, and he doesn't tell him properly. He gives him a kind of half answer that's not true, which is worrying. Well, I think the whole Negan and Zeke dynamic is really, really interesting. And when they talk about all of this, Zeke is basically saying, you've killed people I love. Even if we work together now, it doesn't mean that we're friends. It doesn't mean that I support you. And Negan says, you stay in the past. I'm doing this for my kid. And I thought that was very interesting. Certainly set up the end of this episode that Negan has really changed based on our first introduction to him. And I guess the difference between holding revenge and it was a really great insight into how they view each other. What did you guys think about that scene with the warden? Did you think he was going to give... Ezekiel's name or not yeah I totally thought he was going to give up Ezekiel at that point but that's where that's the road they were leading us down right Ezekiel's being a bitch about it all and we've been led down this path before maybe Negan's going to betray our survivors and look after himself and usually he doesn't do that he goes the other way so I was this is where they're leading us so I expect it to not be the case uh, Hogland and Sinker, I was totally, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, Megan, come on. Not the random heel turn this late on. <laughs> I thought there might be a moment where he um, said Officer 197 instead. And I thought that was maybe a play by him. But I knew what he was going to do whatever it took to protect his kid. But I was hoping that he was going to play them by doing so. That would have been really cool, Chloe. You should 
join the writer's room. Um, <laughs> we then get a really incredibly pointless scene with Daryl and Connie in the sewer, where Daryl kills two sewer walkers and Connie admits to being scared. I mean, I don't know why this was in there. I don't think we should consider it in any way relevant or even that it should exist at all in the canon of the show. Uh, so, now I remember I was talking about this a couple of seasons back. So, in terms of scoring, regular zombies are one point, sewer zombies are ten points, I believe. And um, we'll move on very quickly. We won't question it. What is really interesting about this scene is Daryl admits that he's scared, which I thought was lovely, that he showed that vulnerability to Connie in the ship tunnel. But he didn't look scared. He didn't look or act in any way scared. He just killed a couple of zombies who were trapped in the sewer and moved on. And she's like, I'm scared too. And he's like, yeah, me, I'm scared, right? I didn't believe in any way that Daryl was scared. It wasn't a more scary situation than he's faced before. I agree with you, Alan. And the ambush into the house where Maggie and Carol, between them, killed a trooper, just added to the fact of how incompetent these troopers are. Yeah, there's more of that. There's more of that in another storyline that we'll get to. But as this bit progresses, Ezekiel is grabbed in the night and everyone is being led out to the windmill, which is where we know Daryl and Connie are headed. Crucially, Annie is being held too. And then I was like, oh my God, was that Nabila being led out as well? Yeah. yeah, I thought that as well. I mean, it's basically all survivors. It's anyone that used to be at Alexandria or part of that network that are coming out. I genuinely worried. I didn't worry for Negan because I knew there was a spin-off series, although that could have been a prequel because that's all the trends at the moment. But yeah, I could see the blood splats on the windmill below where they put Negan. So clearly they've executed people in the past and all the stuff there from there are no martyrs here. Negan made a deal and we got to see Negan, gen- I think, genuinely scared that Annie and his unborn child would be killed in place of him. He was screaming like Glenn was screaming to save Maggie when they were all round in a circle or like Rick Grimes was screaming to save his people. Like it was so powerful. That was really edge of my seat stuff. It would have been karmic. He was on his knees with Annie there. Everyone else was surrounding him. Karma for him to have have died with his loved one there and then. But it didn't happen. There was a couple of fake outs here. There was the fake out that Negan had given Ezekiel's name and that's why he'd been grabbed and was being carried and when Annie was being flanked by troopers as well they didn't really clock it at the time it did hint to the fact that that wasn't the case so that the fake out was that Negan gave his own name and he's the one who's brought forward and they're being held because they're known associates of Negan and yeah the poetry of him being put on his knees in front of a crowd of people was incredible but then the double fake out of there's no martyrs here and Annie being put on his knees as well I was like fuck me this is insane I thought oh my god the points the points Zeke said this world is broken but we don't have to be yeah I've I've got written down here time for a rousing monologue and fortunately (laughs) Zeke was there to deliver we have this human shield 
around Negan. The survivors are covering him and his woman and their unborn child. I predicted that Ezekiel would have a Braveheart moment. And as Braveheart's speeches go, it was pretty brief. But Trooper 197 heard what he had to say. When they all walk out, so they all walk out, Princess, Magna, Kelly, they're all, they've all gone out and stood in a line. And Nabila's joined them. And then when the warden says, shoot them all, Nabila looks, genuinely looks like shitting us. <laughs> Jerry didn't enjoy cleaning up that mess. <laughs> that was such a lovely moment, though. I, he decided to end that circle of violence. And it was just a great acknowledgement. I think I spoke about it in the last episode, about these two leaders and how different they are and now finally coming together. And it kind of links to, and I will talk about it later, Eugene's court thing about an individual making a difference. And it was Ezekiel. He starts the movement and everybody else then follows. And not just from the survivors, but it goes to the stormtroopers and other people too. Yeah, Tyler and his gang also immediately join the line, right? So it's not just our crew. Tyler's mm-hmm. mobilised his peeps as well. The warden grabs Kelly and then Daryl stabs him in the back. This isn't really a Daryl style. At this point, I was very worried that Damien had got seven points from Daryl killing the warden. So what I would say to that, Adam, is that I would go as far as to say that was the killing blow. He may not have died immediately, but I reckon you're looking at a punctured lung. You're looking at internal bleeding. I mean, he is as good as dead. Do you know what I thought was going to be the final blow when I was going to get my one point of the episode when Negan is holding a rock over his head? I was like, yes, finally, he's going to get a kill. But no, then he's stopped by Rosita. But before Rosita does deliver the killing blow, Carol and Maggie find Herschel, incredibly convenient, and Rosita bursts in. She clearly didn't wait for the next day, but we learn that Coco and the others are not there. It's only Herschel being kept in that room. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they're very lucky. There's a commotion going outside by the windmill to mask them running up the stairs, kicking the door open, shooting someone, and only Rosita to be the person to then go to where that noise came from. But we later find that that he's not dead. The warden's still alive. Rescind those points. Mm. Mm. Rosita is questioning him. Where are the kids? Where's Coco? I couldn't really make out what he said. I think it was something like, you're going to lose everything. Yeah. I think it's interesting because we have Daryl as the kind of semi-nice guy interrogator. And it's a kind of a very soft, softly, softly catchy monkey. But Rosita's interrogation style is absolutely mental she is such a badass i absolutely loved her grabbing this newly turned walker to use the weapon i thought that was absolutely brilliant what i also loved and this is more in the direction i guess was as soon as that walker at the eye of the warden we then saw father gabe with his false eye I thought that was awesome. I noticed that, yeah. That's what happens when you get in the way of like a mother and her child or a parent and their child. Um, That's what this whole episode was about, wasn't it? About how far parents are willing to go to protect their children. Well, an eye for an eye. Literally. Nice. Makes makes us all blind. Yeah, lovely. And uh, I think, because that's what I was thinking, once that zombie started chewing off his face, 
I thought, what a horrible way to definitely die in that moment. <laughs> it's a shame nobody got any points for that, Damo. Mm, I feel like maybe, I feel like someone maybe did get points for that death. He could have survived well, until the next episode, right? He only had his eye eaten out. Well, I've had many an argument about eating out. But in this instance, I will say this, all right? We've done this previously. If he is alive and dies in the next episode, those five points are rescinded from my total. Otherwise, those five points are mine. Agreed. Okay, yeah. I've just decided who I'm going to put for next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go back then and look at some of the, the two other storylines that happen in this episode? Mm. Let's start with Aaron's crew. So we've got the group who are on their way to Oceanside. And we first see them when Lydia kills a walker. One point for me. And Elijah says it could have been a climber, which is a rubbish name. Smart walkers is much better I wonder if we should maybe even rebrand them from smart walkers to eye walkers. Oh, Damo, you're editing this. Please cut that out. Um, <laughs> Gosh. So we re-meet with Luke. And what's the name of his female companion? Jules. Jules. Oceanside is gone and the Commonwealth have turned up and taken it over. Mm, yeah, gone. What does that mean? Still don't know. <laughs> weeks. Yeah, I mean, come on, for fuck's sake. Can we just get on with that? What I thought was quite interesting was that brief spat, the trouble in paradise between Elijah and Lydia. There's just a little bit of a little nip at each other and Aaron kind of gives it a bit the other. All right, right lovebirds, calm down. We've got to get home. I think that's just setting up Elijah dying before Lydia personally. Yeah, I think yeah it was all about him just wanting to protect her and kind of he cares about her and loves her doesn't, <laughs> doesn't want her to do anything even though she's a badass and she's absolutely fine but yeah I think it comes from that. It was great to see Luke and Jules again though finally made it out of that plot hole. Well it took them <laughs> two years <laughs> but oh they're going to go in the next episode as well, I bet. It's going to be uh, loads of people. Brought them back just to get killed, I think. I believe the next time we see them, there's a discussion. I think Luke's asking about whether Magna and Kelly and Connie are still alive. And then they kind of explain how they managed to escape. We get like a tiny bit of backstory as to what happened at Oceanside. And they happened to miss it because they were out foraging for mushrooms or something ridiculous. But do they end up leading, heading off to Oceanside? Have they changed where they're going? It seems to me like Luke and Jules basically say, Rachel told us to stay away. Commonwealth have taken over Oceanside. We can't take it back on our own. We should all get away. And they're chasing us. They're coming after us. They're tracking us down. So we should get as far away from Oceanside as we possibly can. So the group are moving back towards home, presumably Alexandria, and they're leaving Oceanside behind. That's the sense that I get from the conversations that were had. I think they've diverted from going to Oceanside because they've been warned not to. They find themselves surrounded, right? Or they're pinned they're having that chat about is the rest Luke asks if the rest of his gang is okay and then suddenly they hear the jeeps and they think well we're fucked we can't get away here and then they see the walkers walking very close by through the trees not interested in them not interested in the horse 
for some reason these walkers have decided they don't actually want to eat people pacifist walkers and then Lydia kind of has a look as if to say aha I've come up with a cunning plan we see them in amongst the horde partially blooded yeah she uses Rick and Glenn's plan from season one rather than using the whisperer plan that she's being brought up with right I just felt like that final scene of them being surrounded by the troopers in the jeeps they're not disguised at all it's only really jerry and luke that are even wearing hood why didn't she go let's just skin a couple of faces and wear those and go whisperer style that would have made for me much more sense i didn't think they had time i thought they were the, the people were coming they heard them and it was like a split second thing that's why I, why i thought they didn't go full whisperer mode the troops on their jeeps shining lights into the horde and somehow not noticing the two people that have their faces clearly visible looking suspicious and the Horde not really reacting to the Jeeps either. The Horde is just walking forwards. At no point is anyone reaching out towards those Jeeps, which normally, as we've seen with that poor beggar a few episodes ago, they're desperate to get stormtroopers off those Jeeps. I don't know. I I read it that the use of the Jeeps and the lights were to draw the walkers in a direction. If the troopers are looking for people running away from Oceanside, and they come across a load of walkers, why did they not just mow them all down? Like, what was the point of them searching that group of walkers? Didn't make any sense to me at all. Just yeah. just kill them all. Unless you're looking for a group of walkers to have another herd that you can have somewhere to use later on, as Pamela did you know, a few episodes ago. Can we talk about the knife? Yeah. Yeah, that was really exciting. I was like, yes, finally, another variant. And I think it means... They're going to see through this um, half-bloodied disguise, which probably turns out to be a plot device in the end. I think the variant will discover there's imposters among us and use Lydia's knife. Lydia stumbles, doesn't she? Drops her knife and then a, 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 walk, a smart walker clearly also stumbles and happens across the knife and picks it up. Creepy stuff. Mm. Should we cover Eugene's trial? Yeah, I've completely well. forgotten about that as well. That's how stop and start that was. It was over before it began. So Pamela's playing the emotional card on the stand. Yumiko objects and is denied. It's clear from that moment. We were in a kangaroo court, folks. Definitely. And she, the way she uses Mercer's name, she talks this story about how Mercer's there when it happens. Mercer is her witness and the tragedy that unfurled upon her child. That's as much her trying to make sure that Mercer is kept in check as well as kind of these crocodile tears, like you said, Adam. And ultimately, they realise that they're going to lose the trial and there's no way they're winning. So Yumiko and Eugene's efforts thereafter are in inspiring the crowds that are watching this trial and in getting them riled up. And they are successful in that. There's a moment where Pamela says it wasn't her son and the tape was all fake news and she calls Eugene an enemy of the state. I have a question about the state of the Commonwealth and it is this. Why, oh why, is this really important courtroom case taking place in a train station? It's effectively their town hall, right? Okay, fair enough. And you know, it's, it's a pretty nice location set that they've built so they're going to make their... Make the most of using it. 
Mercer, we need you. Yeah, they think that Mercer's their only hope, right? They don't think that Mercer knows about Princess being taken. Max is unable to get to him. Pamela's people won't let her get to him. But Yumiko might have an option, might have a chance. They talk about Pamela siloing people off. I think they're underestimating Mercer, to be honest. Like, I think when they had that conversation, when he had that conversation with Max, with Princess a few episodes ago, that was the deciding point, I thought, for him. And I think he's just been laying low, letting Pamela do her thing, getting her trust. But I think he was always, from that point on, going to turn. Well, if we can get him on the stand in public, Mercer knows Princess has been taken. That in itself is something we're talking about, right? He knows. And he still continues in this charade. That's huge. And such is his love of order and keeping things as much of the way as the old as they were. That final scene that we have of him and Princess, what, two episodes ago? Beautiful. They're both great in that scene. And here we go. Yeah, no, I know they've got her. Yeah, I'm not going to do anything about it. In fact, I've actually got to go. I'm a bit busy. Uh, so can you see yourself out? He basically stonewalls Yumiko. He knows about Princess. She asks him to speak truth to power. But it's interesting, and after the episode, we get the Angela Kang bit talking about stuff, and she reveals that Mercer's got his own thing going on, which kind of hasn't really been apparent from the episodes themselves thus far. We've been expecting Mercer to change sides. That was going to happen anyway at some point. I was going to say, and, and then we come back to the court where the judge asks if the defence rests a couple of times. And then Eugene stands up to give his kind of last speech from the gallows. I've got written down here, Eugene's got something to say, got something to say, David. Um, my inaction made me culpable and I hated myself for that. All the while he's trying to make himself, or he's trying to explain himself try and maybe get the, the gallery on side. That's Unico's strategy all along, is to get the gallery on side. They're more important than the jury. Yeah, and that was a kind of callback, I thought, to Eugene's time with the saviours as well, how that kind of one person can change everything. The inevitable happened. Didn't quite work. Yeah, he equates his time as a saviour, standing by when bad things happen and looking the other way with Mercer's situation. He says, in my own little way, I changed the world. But inevitably, he's found guilty, sentenced to public execution in one hour. Yeah. And well, we know that's not going to happen. But also, again, another amazing counter arc that the Walking Dead scriptwriters have done. I did enjoy, in a negative way, Pamela leaving the courtroom smirking like a bitch. <laughs> yeah, and the people are outraged and they're not hiding the fact they're, they're letting Pam know as they walk past and they file out. The gallery is disgusted. And that was fantastic. And it, and it shows people power. But Pamela doesn't have a lot of time. To finish this episode off, Eugene's being led down a tunnel with a bag over his head to face his execution. And he's brought face to face with Mercer, who says it's time to fuck shit up. Which apparently was an ad lib from the actor. which is Oh, wow. Brilliant. Yeah. I thought that was amazing when I was watching that bonus scene and Angela Kang said that. That was the best part of the episode for me. That got me really riled up now for next week. Exciting times. I think a lot of stuff wrapped up in this episode and I think we're going into, well, we're going into the penultimate episode, right? 
So mm -hmm. who knows what's going to happen? But we are going to have to predict some things that are going to happen, which brings us to our sweepstake. I scored two points from Lydia, which took me up to a total of 27 points. Now, Damien, Daryl killed a couple of walkers, which gave you two points as well. And then the warden, we're saying currently, we're, currently we're saying the warden's dead, which gives yep. you another five points. And that puts you on 30 points, my friend. Chloe and Neil, no score again. So okay. you're both on 12 points. So Damien, you're currently three points ahead. We've got two more episodes to go. Final episode, double points, and we'll have three deaths, two killers. So there's still all to play for. But Damien, you are due to go first for episode 23. Oh, this is tough. My, and I'm also a little bit worried that our final episode might not see very many deaths. That the final episode might still be wrapping stuff up. But... We've been talking about this on the WhatsApp. I have been struggling so much to decide who I am. I'm going to have to, because he's served me so well the last couple of weeks, I'm going to have to go Daryl Killer. The death is where I've really struggled. And I think oh, this, this is where it's won or lost, right? I think in this moment right now, and I'm going to say death, Elijah. I'm next, aren't I? You are next, Neil, yeah. For Killer, I'm going to go for Gabe. And for Death, I'm going to go for Pamela. Okay, well, that's my um, first choice Killer guy. I'm going to go with Mercer for my Killer. It's so hard to pick at this point. My first Death is going to be Trooper 192, also known in the credits as Trooper Sanborn. Okay. <laughs> what? 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 Okay, I'm going to go Killer, Rosita, First Death, Jerry. Oh, the speed at which you did that. Cold to Adam. Chloe's going big. Damo, your second death. I cannot believe that this person hasn't been picked for second death. I'm going to go for Rosita. For death, I had Max, but just to annoy Damo, I'm going to go for Father Gabe. <laughs> My second death is going to be Jules. I'll go second death, Diane, because I feel like we'll see her again and she'll die. <laughs> I mean, her contract might not have been renewed, but I love the optimism that we're going to see her. We are going back into Alexandria and nowhere was there Scott or Virgil. Where have these characters gone? I really, really hope. Now that we're starting to bring people like Nabila back, we're going to see Scott and Virgil at some point in the last two episodes. And Cindy and Rachel. Too many to mention. Um, it's exciting though, right? Yeah, it was very exciting. I think I'm going to need therapy at the end of all this. Yeah. I heard a rumour that the final episode is going to be two hours long. Oh. Ooh. I mean, I fucking hope so. It ought to be. Very exciting stuff. Really enjoyed this and looking forward to seeing what comes up next. If you want to let us know what you think is going to happen in the final two episodes of The Walking Dead, you can contact us on the social media at Pod. Excellent. Well, I think we're done. Who's got a good sign-off for this Walking Dead episode, Damien Cooper? You think because we agreed to this, we're friends? Well, time for me to fuck shit up. And by fuck shit up, I mean go to bed with a hot chocolate. Bye. Fair enough. Bye. Take me. Take me. Just take me.
<laughs> Talks about mercy prevailing over wrath. If wrath, wrath, wrath. I never know how to spell that word. Wrath. 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 If Damo or Adam, whoever edits this, after Damo says, just do it, just do it, can you add in me saying, you said that before? Very good. <laughs> Nothing like a pre-planned edit. <laughs> <laughs> Have we done intros for this? <laughs> yeah, we have. Yeah. What did I say? I said you made down shit tunnel. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. God, and the outtakes are going to be quality on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go as far as say he doesn't just stab him in the was... back. Oh, sorry. I, I, I go as far as say he oh, doesn't just stab point. him in... <laughs> Let me go first. <laughs> at this point... Eugene was never swinging the bat. They really want Mercer to. Delivery of that's not been great. What's the quote? Mercer's their only hope, right? They they don't think that Mercer knows that. Princess yeah, can I can I say that again? Just because I think it will be. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, for then. Well, so in between the scene that you're going to quote right. from, Neil, there's a prison scene. There's a there's a scene in the cell, right? There's a, I know exactly when you're talking about, Neil. So there's yeah, a, yeah. There's no, a... no, I've, I've found the quote now. Go for okay, it. go on then. Although Eugene was never swinging the bat, but he knew what was happening. Mercer, we need you. 